Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Brendan, I am sleep deprived. I've doubled up on coffee today because uh, coming from Vegas, flex. I'll go ahead. And yeah, that's myself. absolutely a flex. A wedding in Vegas, Brendan. Yeah. And I take one weekend off of baseball to uh, enjoy a wedding. And wouldn't you know it? The wedding itself, baseball themed. Yeah. Unsurprising, given who the wedding was for. It was. If yeah. you would like to flex there as well. Sure. Uh, well, congratulations to uh, Jeff and Emily Kirchin on tying the knot. And as you can probably guess by the the, the name, the family name, they're a baseball family. So the, the speech given uh, during the wedding was baseball themed. So the person giving it was relating marriage to a baseball game and was saying, you guys are both the managers of the teams and it, it made a lot of sense, honestly. I was thinking about it. At times, you have to sacrifice for your teammates to get ahead. Uh, you know, it's a it's a long season. It's a, At times, it can be difficult. And sometimes, you'll feel like, you know, you're hitting a home run every other at-bat. And sometimes, it feels like you're striking out a lot. And I was like, this is a really apt comparison. And then, sometimes, he kind of <laughs> he dragged out the metaphor just a bit. He kind of lost me in the middle part where he was saying, and enjoy that seventh-inning stretch. Chow down on some popcorn and Cracker Jacks. And yeah, that that lost there, me a little bit. Is there a seventh inning stretch in marriage? I, I don't. Are there I, cracker jacks? Neither in, of us would know that <laughs> the answer to that question. Are there cracker jacks in marriage? I Maybe. Uh, well, I was saying too. It's a good thing he didn't bring up like the infield fly. That totally would have lost yeah. you. <laughs> I was expecting it to just keep going because it felt like it was just kept going. And at one point, he's going to be like, "Now look, the '86 Mets <laughs> are going to be <laughs> like the 13th year of your marriage." So now, you got to watch out for the 80 game suspensions. <laughs> you don't want any of those. None of those. None of those. Stay away from that. Yeah. yeah. But some of the comparisons were pretty apt, you know, talking about coming home into the dugout and it, it, they were, he was saying, you know, the goal is to get home and it's like, okay, you know, you have, you're building your family and stuff like that. But some, sometimes he just kind of lost me in the middle there. Yeah. I think it would be tough to make that entire thing baseball themed and make sense the whole way. He did. However, wonderful ceremony. Beautiful event uh, in Vegas, and uh, that's, you know, a, a place that uh, a lot of people get married, but not that classy. Yeah. And, and not not in a beautiful, classy way like it was. Well, done. and also, I think important to note that it, it wasn't like the entire wedding was baseball-themed. Like, there no, weren't, no, like, baseball balloons and streamer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Not like a kid's birthday party. Right, <laughs> right. Because you said baseball-themed wedding, and I was like, well, they just talked about baseball. Wasn't right, yeah. That wasn't on the top theme of, of the party. On top of the wedding cake, it had Jeff <laughs> <laughs> with the batting helmet. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was good stuff, though. What? How was your weekend? That was wonderful. Went to see the Orioles extra inning win on Saturday. Did you stay for the whole thing? Sure didn't, but uh, did Tough. rock the I Adley the Ironbirds jersey I at Pickles, which was a fun time. Nice. And uh, yeah. Oh, uh, I, I did get a fan of the Mass and All Access podcast come up to me in Vegas. So there's fans of the Mass and All Access <laughs> podcast. Let me tell you, uh, other than my mom, surprisingly. Yeah, there is. Wow. Yeah. And they're. They're everywhere. That's shocking yeah. to me. And I was like, all right, where do I sign? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <Yeah>. baseball, huh? <laughs> all right. Uh, 
we're going to talk today, Brendan, about two prospects who have recently come up. Tyler Nevin, Kyle Bradish. Both these guys, we believe, are here to stay and why we think that. But first, uh, let's touch on two other prospects who are working their way up through the Oriole system, both on sort of rehab assignments, I guess you could say. Adley Rutschman, more on a an actual rehab assignment. D.L. Hall, more getting his arm built up. Uh, and for the second straight week, last week, we went to go see them in Aberdeen. Today, we're going to go down to Bowie and see them there uh, where they're going to D.L. Hall is not going to pitch tonight, but Adley will play tonight. And this is a steady rise through the system for both these guys. Yeah, both of them just kind of going from place to place in the minors, trying to get their timing back. Adley, pretty good in Aberdeen. Six hits in four games, three doubles, two walks, did not strike out. I think he's going to be fine. D.L. Hall pitched one game, four innings, six strikeouts, and not a single walk. So I I would venture to say uh, that the... (laughs) Level of competition is probably a little bit below the current level of Adley Rutschman and D.L. Hall, but good for them to go get their timing back, and now we'll see them at Bowie. So I think we can both agree that D.L. Hall will take a little bit more time. Yes. I don't know if he'll take much more time at Bowie, but I think in general he will certainly take more time in the minor league. So I don't want to hazard a guess as to when D.L. Hall will make his debut just yet because I want to see how long that progression takes because he has not ever pitched uh, in Norfolk before. However, if you were to guess right now, Brendan, when do you think Adley Rutschman will get the call up to the big leagues? I'm going to say May 20th. That's a Friday home game against the Tampa Bay Rays, the start of a series. Look, I think if you're calling up Adley Rutschman, obviously it is going to be based on his timetable and how he's feeling and all of those things, but you're also calling up Adley Rutschman. This is a massively anticipated event in Birdland. So I think you're going to try to make it, at the very least, a home game. It's going to be a party. Right. And I think the Orioles will make it a Friday night, make it a big thing. I think Friday, May 20th against the race. So that would give him, you know, a week in Bowie and then a week in Norfolk and then a few extra days. So more like 10 days, 10 or 11 days, I believe, in Norfolk before he gets the call. Yeah, I think he'll probably spend a similar amount of time in Bowie that he spent in Aberdeen. I don't think he spends more than four or five games there because it's going to be the same thing. He's going to dominate in Bowie. (laughs) It's Adley Rutschman and he's playing in double A. We saw how well he performed in Aberdeen. Again, it's a slow progression. He's just getting his timing back, but I don't think keeping him in Bowie for longer than you did in Aberdeen makes any sense. At least at triple A, maybe he'll face some pitchers that have bounced between the majors and AAA and he's facing much better competition there where if you really need to get his timing back AAA is the place to spend at least a few more days there so I think he'll probably spend a week at AAA and four or five days here in Bowie I agree that he will probably spend a week at most in Bowie and he's gonna he's gonna get the call up to Norfolk I have a few days earlier for a big league debut I have May 17th against the Yankees which is a Tuesday because Norfolk goes on a road trip and I'm not sure they would send him on the road trip just to go to three games and then come all the way back to Baltimore to start for that Friday. However, I think it's very possible. Yeah. And I think any one of those, I, I think we're both targeting that homestand, which starts, I believe on the 16th or 17th and runs through the weekend. And it's two divisional opponents. I mean, what, what else could you ask for in the middle of May? The weather's going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. Well, and 
I don't knock on wood that it happens. Right. And yes, it's a homestand. And yes, we are making these predictions based on the fact that the Adley Rutschman debut is going to be a big event at Camden Yards, but it also doesn't really make sense to bring him up before that either. It's not like we're pushing it off just because we want the debut to come at home. He's not going to debut yeah. in Detroit in a week. That right. just doesn't really make sense. It also probably would not give him enough time. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like We're not pushing back this date just because we want him to debut at home. Right. Is the point. It's coming and it's coming soon. And we're very excited about that. Uh, some unfortunate news on the injury front, Brendan. Alexander Wells out eight to 12 weeks with a grade one UCL strain. So that means eight to 12 weeks earliest he could be back would be really by the end of June if that's the absolute minimum time, but odds are he's not going to spend the minimum time. Really unfortunate for a guy that could have used a good year to get himself back in the conversation as we start to see the Bradishes, the Rodriguez's, the Halls of the World in 2022. And guys like Bauman and Lowther and Wells have to pitch and they have to perform well in order to hold their spot. So unfortunate for him. Right. This is the time when Alexander Wells needed to prove that if he was going to be in the rotation, this would be the time that Alexander Wells would need to show it. And or, if he's going to be on the team, right. Or if he was going to carve out a long reliever role again, this would be the time where he would have to do it because as those prospects that you mentioned are getting called up to the big leagues, some guys who are currently in the rotation might get pushed into those long reliever roles. And if Alexander Wells isn't there established already, it's very possible that he gets pushed out of that mix. We already saw Mike Bauman get optioned down to AAA Norfolk. He had ups and downs in that bullpen, and I think the Orioles want to give him more seasoning. We've seen Al we've seen Zach Lowther struggle in Norfolk so far. So all three of those guys, Wells, Lowther, and Bauman, not off to a terrific start in 2022. And with the competition nipping at their heels, they're going to have to turn it up. And unfortunately for Wells, he's going to have to take a step back. Yeah, tough to tell with Bauman whether that was a decision that came because he had a bunch of pitches the day before and he just wasn't going to be able to pitch for you for four or five days until you realistically optioned him back up and it was around his regular rest day or if they just didn't really like like what they saw from him so far at the major league level and want to make sure he's getting consistent reps at triple a so i think over the next few days we'll see what the plan is with mike bauman i was a little bit surprised when it comes to wells that they didn't put him on the 60 day because when you put somebody on the 60 day il as opposed to the 10 day il you open up a 40-man roster spot Whereas if you put somebody on the 10-day IL, all you're doing is opening up a 26-man roster spot. So like for the Orioles, they put means on the 60-day so that they could add somebody to the 40-man. The Orioles are going to need to add a bunch of guys to their 40-man. As we record this right now, as we're live on Facebook and YouTube, if you don't watch every week, you should be watching live. Uh, the Orioles have an open spot on their 40-man. So they have room to call somebody up to add somebody, but... Kyle Stowers is not on the 40-man. Adley Rutschman is not on the 40-man. Grayson Rodriguez is not on the 40-man. So they're going to have to add those guys at some point. And I figure the Orioles are going to want to keep as many spots open as possible. And 8 to 12 weeks, 8 weeks is 56 days. That's darn close to 60 days. So I imagine they might transfer him to the 60-day IL and retroactively do that so that he can come back sooner if he's ready. But... A uh, little bit surprised that they didn't open up the roster spot. However, they have an open spot on the 40-man as it stands. Yeah, I think they probably could send him to the 60-man at some point. Might just be the kind of thing where you don't want to preemptively send him to the 60-day IL and have it turn out that he could have come back earlier than that. But again, surprising because it's not like you need to rush 
Alexander Wells back. Right. Like nothing against Alexander Wells, but the success or failure of this Orioles team doesn't really hinge on whether Alexander Wells is back as soon as possible making appearances. Right. So I would imagine that they want to be as careful as possible with him and putting him on the 60 day IL and just making sure that he is good to go would make more sense. All right. One more topic before we get into Bradish and Nevin, because I know I teased them off the top. Ryan McKenna getting optioned. This was a little bit of a surprise, Brendan. And we know Tyler Nevin, who we're going to talk about in a bit, can play in the outfield. So you add an outfielder, you subtract an outfielder. For the as rough a start as McKenna got off to at the plate to start the season, it felt like he was turning a corner, maybe a little bit getting his feet under him. He was hitting in the 260s. He was hitting well over the last seven days, 10 days before he got optioned. And we've talked about before, there's always need for a pinch runner, a somebody spark plug off the bench who can make something happen, and as a fourth outfielder who can play all three outfield positions. To see him get optioned this early in the season was a little bit surprising. Well, can play all three outfield positions very well. And I'd imagine if you're the Orioles and Mike Elias making this move, you are okay with the fact that if you need somebody to take a rest in the outfield. It, say if Cedric Mullins needs an off day, you can push Austin Hayes to center field yep. and Trey Mancini and Tyler Nevin will do in a pinch in the corner outfield spot defensively. But that's just it. It's in a pinch. And I understand that you want Trey Mancini and Tyler Nevin's bat in your lineup probably more than you want Ryan McKenna's bat in your lineup. But McKenna is a much better defensive outfielder than Mancini or Nevin. I mean... Again, nothing against Trey Mancini or Tyler Nevin, but if they're playing a corner outfield spot defensively, you're a little worried about that. And neither of them can play center. Right. Neither of them can play center, and Ryan McKenna can play center very well. You mentioned that he got off to a slow start, didn't have his first hit in the big leagues this year until April 20th. That's not great. But since April 20th, he hasn't been getting a ton of run, but he has had 18 plate appearances. In those plate appearances, he is hitting 385 with a 500 on base percentage and an OPS over one. So you're not really giving him the reps and at-bats that he needs to find a rhythm, and he's finding it anyway. Right. So if you were looking for steady improvement out of Ryan McKenna at the plate, because you already know what he can give you defensively, I don't really know what else he needed to show you over the last few weeks that he has been steadily improving at the plate. So this move... Very surprising to me, especially when you have other players that have been tossed around as possible candidates, as possible roster cut down candidates like Chris Owings. I know he's versatile. He can play second base or shortstop, but he has two hits and 12 strikeouts in 10 games with a 349 OPS. Rugnet Odor has been playing a little bit better as of late, but he still hasn't been playing fantastic baseball. A lot of other guys that I think could have been cut from this roster the difference though is that you can just option McKenna whereas Owings is out of options right so if you make that move you got to be prepared to lose the guy on a waiver claim and it's very possible that this move is very temporary for Ryan McKenna. that's what I imagine I don't imagine I, I imagine they made it because they want to give him every day at bats and they want to continue his development that way and I imagine that this will not take very long the first kind of injury so to speak and again they've been Pretty healthy. I know Trey Mancini has been out of the lineup because he's nursing bruised ribs, but he hasn't been added to the 10-day IL, so it's not they don't expect that, at least right now, to be a permanent long-term injury. 
So I imagine that he will be the first kind of call. And the good thing about guy having options is you can call him in two days and bring him back up. There's a minimum time that you have to keep him down. You can't do it within 24 hours or 72 hours. However, if you were making a move like a Rubnet Odor or like a Chris Owings, that's more of a permanent move. You have to right. be prepared to lose that guy. And especially with Odor, who signed a major league deal, you know, he would have to be, he would have to accept the option down to AAA and probably not going to. He would probably take free agency. Owings would have to clear waivers. So those kind of moves, I think, will happen eventually as the competition works its way up. But I think that this was a no-brainer move for the Orioles simply because McKenna has the options. Yeah, I just think it's unfortunate because it is solely a roster construction move. Yeah. Whereas Ryan McKenna, personally, I don't think really has anything left to prove in terms of why he should be at the big league level. Like I mentioned, he's been pr improving at the plate over the last few weeks. And last year, when he was more back and forth between AAA Norfolk and the majors, he played 27 games at AAA with an OPS over 1.1 and slugged 683 with 11 home runs. So he's going to destroy AAA. He is too good to be at AAA. So hopefully this is just a short stay there for Ryan McKenna and we see him back up at the big league soon. One guy we believe is here in Baltimore to stay for a long time. And we hope, certainly, Kyle Bradish. We've already gotten one start of Kyle Bradish. Of course, the news breaks that he's going to be making his start Friday when I'm literally on the plane or on the runway. And boy, it was just a nightmare coordinating everything, <laughs> making sure that we had <laughs> that everything, it was. Yeah. everything done. But uh, Brendan, I was sitting there in my hotel room in Vegas watching the game on my phone because I couldn't miss seeing Kyle Bradish's first start and his first strikeout. Coming in the first batter, unfortunately, a drop third strike. Worst rule in baseball. I'll stand by that. So un that's unfortunate that it had to happen that way. I love Kevin Brown said, do you keep the baseball after that? You right. know the guy get on base? Yeah. I mean, look, the word out is in strikeout. He should be out. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. Paul, be careful. You're about to get into a huge tangent. Here. I know. Honestly. All right. Kyle Bradish looked terrific in his first start. And I know he, he gave up three runs, two of them earned. The defense was off its game behind him. Uh, in the infield, in the outfield, Trey Mancini. I can understand, especially after he crashed into the wall, uh, making that play out in right field, that he let that ball go by him and obviously hasn't gotten a whole lot of reps in the outfield. However, Bradish was on the wrong end of some poor defensive plays behind him and still pitched pretty well. Yeah, he was. He looked really solid. Those six innings were tied for the most innings that an Orioles starter had thrown the entire year, yeah. and he does it in his Major League debut. Five hits, two earned, like you said. Only two strikeouts, but I don't think that's really reflective of how well he pitched. Yeah. He made some guys look silly. He did. And his stuff looked really, really good. His fastball has some natural movement to it. He got it up to 97 in the first inning, which I don't think we're going to see again. It averaged 94.1, which was a little surprising considering he did hit 97 in the first inning. I think that's just pure it's your first start in the big leagues adrenaline yeah. out of Kyle Bradish there. And he only had one walk. And the thing with Kyle Bradish that was keeping him in triple a Norfolk last year was the command because his walk numbers were not great. And to have your first major league outing go six innings and only walk one batter, even though he only had two strikeouts, I think that's massive for Kyle Bradish. Yeah. And again, the, the important thing is the stuff looked good. That's going to be the key takeaway here because 
the the box score is far less important than just the eye test and how he's doing against these big league hitters. And that home run that he gave up was just an elevated fastball, which that's going to happen. Yeah, you're going to miss occasionally. Yeah, you just missed his spot, but the fastball does have a lot of movement. It does. And that slider has a ton of movement. He made guys look very silly. The fastball is going to be his primary pitch. He threw it 45 times, which was by far the most of any of those pitches that he threw. Uh, And then he threw the slider 20 times, which is the second most. The third and fourth pitch, the curveball and the changeup, he's not going to throw that much. Nine and seven times. And especially the changeup is not a great pitch right now. However, the fastball-slider combo is going to be, I I think and I hope, plenty to at least get him through the first couple months of his big league career. Absolutely. And the curveball, even though he doesn't throw it that much, at least in his first start, it was his most effective pitch, according to Fangraphs. So at least having that third option is going to be very beneficial for Kyle Bradish, obviously. But I think the fastball-slider combo... We saw the amount of movement on both of those pitches, and it's going to carry him far. Awesome to see that he is already off and running. We've been fooled before, Brendan, a la Dean Kramer. However, given the pedigree of Bradish, I think that this is a much more likely long-term option in the Orioles' rotation, and it's exciting considering we still have yet to see Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall to already have a young guy hopefully cement himself in this rotation. Well, Not to completely knock Dean Kramer, he still has a chance to be, the stuff is good, maybe he he still has a chance to be decent, but I think Kyle Bradish just looked solid. He looked the part. Right. Uh, So Bradish, and fits into this rotation that's already kind of weirdly stable right now. Even after losing John Means, they are continue to be solid right now. And you have Jordan Lyles, who looks every bit the pitcher that the Orioles were kind of hoping to get when they signed him for $7 Spencer Watkins has been excellent. Uh, obviously, Bradish is going to continue to get starts. Bruce Zimmerman has been excellent with this incredible pitch, which we talked to Alex Fast about, that all of a sudden his changeup is looking like a John Means changeup. Uh, and Tyler Wells, you're going to continue to give starts, especially after he looked good last night. Yeah, it looked great last night. And that's kind of another can of worms where there with Tyler Wells in terms of him getting taken out after the fifth inning and didn't have that many pitches. And how do you want to handle Tyler Wells going forward? But he got you to the fifth inning and only allowed one run. Yeah. So Tyler Wells has looked great. And like you said, the rest of the rotation has been surprisingly really good. I'm not all that concerned about the kind of pitch count that they put on their guys. Because I, I know they, they pulled Spencer Watkins too early from that game. I think Brandon Hyde's just keeping everything very conservative. Yes. It is May 3rd at this point. So it, he is keeping things as conservative as possible, especially with Wells, who only came out of the bullpen last year in short bursts. And say what you will about the fact that Brian Baker came in and gave up a run, but at the end of the game, you gave up two runs. And if you give up two runs, you should win most of those baseball games. Tangentially, but the Orioles' bullpen construction to me is fascinating because they have all these guys that seem to have like a different gimmick, if you will, or thing. A gimmick is probably too you know, lower word because these guys are legitimate MLB pitchers, but they each have a thing. And I like how, uh, you know, Joey Crable has some crazy movement on his pitches. Felix Bautista is just a massive hulk of a man who comes out of the bullpen and pumps 100 miles an hour and threw a dart last night, put it right on the corner uh, and has incredible off-speed stuff. They have the right construction to the point where they don't need 
to throw guys out there for multiple innings at a time. They can just line guys up and go Baker, CNL Perez, Felix Bautista, Jorge Lopez, and that's a good one, two, three, four punch. Yeah, and Jorge Lopez is throwing what, like a ninety-nine mile an hour sinker? Yeah, right now, it's all working. The it, bullpen. It is is not showing any signs of slowing down. I don't think the bullpen is going to continue to be a top five bullpen in the American League just based on the pedigree of these guys, but who knows? I mean, we didn't think that Jorge Lopez would look this good to start the year, and he has. So Before we get into Nevin, I talked about the rotation, how all five of those guys have been solid. You obviously don't want to have to move Tyler Wells out of the rotation, nor should he be moved out of the rotation. Bruce Zimmerman, he's not going anywhere considering how well he's pitched. Jordan Lyles, he's not moving out of the rotation. And now Kyle Bradish. Spencer Watkins is the fifth. He's the odd man out as soon as Grayson Rodriguez or D.L. Hall is ready. He's been terrific. Yeah. It, it's hard to even justify moving a guy with a 2.55 ERA, but eventually they're going to have to. Right. And I think with Watkins, maybe you can just justify pushing him into a long reliever role. But even right now, like he's been too good for that. He's been great. Good problems to have. Good problems to have, too. He, again, another guy who's not, the Orioles have not asked him to go particularly deep in games, four or five innings, but he hasn't allowed more than two runs in any of his four starts, and he's only allowed two runs in one of those starts. Bruce Zimmerman-esque from last year, where he didn't go deep into games, he didn't have the flashy stuff that he has this year, but he kept you in every game he pitched, and that's what Spencer Watkins is giving you right now. All right, Tyler Nevin. Absolutely hitting the cover off the ball in AAA Norfolk. He gets the call up to the big leagues. We talked about on our last podcast how his positional versatility helps him a lot because he can play third, he can play first incredibly well, apparently, given that awesome play. I can't stop watching that play from over the weekend, that diving stop. And he can play a corner outfield. That makes him not as valuable as, say, a Ryan McKenna. However, defensively, it helps him stay in the lineup, which is what this team needs right now. Well, it was funny because Kyle Bradish gets called up for that Friday game against the Red Sox, and we were you know, hanging out before batting practice, and I was talking with friends of the podcast, Kevin Brown and Brett Hollander, <laughs> and Brett goes, oh, who do you think the next guy that's going to get called up is? And I was like, oh, I think it might be Tyler Nevin. Like, he is mashing at AAA, and Kevin goes, that's a great guess. He's right there. Because we hadn't heard that he was here yet. It hadn't been official yet. It hadn't been official yet. And Kevin goes, yeah, there, there's Tyler Nevin right there. He's starting at third. And I went, oh, okay, there's Tyler Nevin. Kevin was testing you. He was. And, <laughs> and it was a and you aced the good test. guess on my part, I guess. But yeah, Nevin, given the Orioles' struggles at third base so far this year, Nevin had been getting, whether it was a future plan for Nevin, regardless of how the Orioles were doing at third base of the major leagues, or if that was the plan, given how that position had gone in Baltimore, Nevin was getting a bunch of reps there in AAA Norfolk. So it was a much easier transition than maybe it would have been last year when Nevin was getting most of his reps at first base or a corner outfield. Yeah. And you saw the corresponding move It wasn't corresponding to this particular move, but it was corresponding when the Orioles had to lower their roster from 28 to 26 guys, and that was Kelvin Gutierrez being designated for assignment. Just was not getting off to the kind of start that the Orioles expected from him. Again, not not excellent defensively. Wasn't getting everyday starts, so I think that probably hurt him because he he was getting passed over for Ramon Rios, who was getting a lot of starts at third base, and Chris Owings was filling in, so... 
he was kind of the natural odd man out in that situation. Yeah, and for Gutierrez, the defense needed to be good yeah. for him to stay in Baltimore, and he had three errors at third in, like you mentioned, kind of limited playing time. Yeah. So you already knew that the bat wasn't going to be fantastic. He showed some flashes of improvement at the plate in spring training. They didn't translate all that well to the regular season, had just four hits in 12 games. At least he walked four times, which was one of the areas that of improvement that he had in spring training. But like I said, if the defense wasn't good for Gutierrez, he didn't really have a role. And with three errors and limited playing time, couldn't really justify starting him. Especially because he can only play third. Right. Nevin can play first and third and corner outfield. Kevin Gutierrez can't play anything other than third base. That right. makes it very difficult to justify now a very thin bench. The Orioles continue to stick his stuff this roster with as many pitchers as humanly possible, which makes sense. Literally as many pitchers as possible. Yep. You are not allowed to have more than 14 pitchers, and the Orioles have 14. It makes sense because of the injuries that they've sustained and because of the short leashes that they have these guys on. They need to cram this roster with pitchers. But it is going to make it very difficult on Brandon Hyde to make any kind of late-game substitutions, anything when it comes to the lineup. Like, it does make sense, especially given the injuries, that you are keeping some of these fringe bullpen guys like Travis Lakins. But, again, I didn't mention him in the Ryan McKenna discussion, but when you're optioning Ryan McKenna and Travis Lakins has an ERA close to 10... Uh, how badly do you need to keep 14 yeah. pitchers? Again, we'll see. I think a lot of these moves are subject to change. Right. And I think we can find it hard to justify a move in one day, and then they rectify it within two days. Right. So these kind of things, the roster, the Orioles roster in particular, is always in flux. Right. But getting back to Nevin, who we think is somebody who is going to stick around, he seems like the most likely option to be a regular starter at third base, definitely, I would think, because right now, without Calvin Gutierrez, you pretty much just have Ramon Arias. I mean, Chris Owings could probably play third. Rugnet Odor, I think you're just going to stick at second. So it's probably just some combination of Tyler Nevin and Ramon Arias. And Arias has not been great defensively at third base either. So I think, ideally, you'd probably like to have Tyler Nevin be your regular starting third baseman at this point. And it's clear that the Orioles, regardless of whether he's playing third base or not, they want to get Nevin's bat in the lineup. I mean, they've yes. had him play third. They've had him play first. They've he's DH'd he's twice DH. now. Yeah, they want to get... And it, right now, I know understand part of that is Mancini's absence. However, they want to get his bat in the lineup, and I think they should. Because yeah. I think, I think, like you said, he's in a similar boat as some of these other guys who have shown so much in AAA Norfolk to the point where... Just let him see what you got. Yeah. Give him an opportunity every day out there and let him earn his way onto the future Orioles. Right. Unless there is a complete roster crunch where you cannot keep him, he has nothing left to show you right. at AAA Norfolk. He didn't really last year. That's why you called him up. He certainly didn't this year with an OPS close to one. And Tyler Nevin is just a, a good hitter. He's going to grind out at, bat, at bats for you. He doesn't strike out a ton. He's been walking at a much better rate. He's going to give you quality at bats every time he's up. And I think he's an important bat to keep in the lineup. And he's got big time power. He does. So I I would very much like to see, especially with, I know that, you know, we, we don't really have a timetable for Kyle Stowers when he's going to get called up. But these opportunities are going to be f surprisingly fleeting, I think, because of how good the prospects have been in AA and AAA. So right. it's now is the time. 
you know, the, the clock is ticking on a lot of these guys just because of the high-level prospects that are going to be making their way up. Yeah, and he doesn't really fall into the Kyle Bradish category, right? Like, Kyle Bradish is going to be in the rotation for the rest of the year. He is probably right. going to be in the rotation even once Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall are promoted because he's your third-best pitching prospect in the system. Tyler Nevin is not one of your better third-base prospects or just prospects in general. He was in the Orioles' top 30 last year. But when you're looking at third base... In a year or two, we're probably going to be talking about Jordan Westberg, Gunnar Henderson, Kobe Mayo in a few years down the line. So if Tyler Nevin is going to cement his place on this Orioles roster, he needs to do it now because within the next year or two, those reps are going to go to prospects with a higher pedigree like a Gunnar Henderson or a Jordan Westberg. And Nevin needs to prove now because he's not going to be able to prove it in a year or two, because those guys are going to get the reps. Which is exactly why I expect and hope that uh, Rylan Bannon will get called up at some point soon as well. Right. Another guy who has to earn a spot now, has to make a name for himself now before he gets passed over. I think the only thing keeping Bannon at AAA right now is that if you move Chris Owings, if you're not comfortable with Ramon Arias playing shortstop, if you move Chris Owings... Jorge Mateo does not get an off day. Yes. Because who else plays shortstop at that right. point? Exactly. So we expect at some point these kind of moves will be made. Right. Anything else you want to touch on, Brendan? Pretty short podcast, but I think we yeah. touched on everything. Well, look, I think just in general, it's exciting to kind of see this process start. Yes. Right? Because Michael Elias coming into the year promised that 2022 would kind of be the start of this new era of Orioles baseball where you're seeing some of the top prospects that have been drafted over the years. You're finally seeing the fruits of the labor, right? We saw Tyler Nevin briefly last year, but Kyle Bradish is kind of the first prospect of his pedigree that we've seen in Baltimore so far. Yeah. And Adley Rutschman, we are hopefully going to see in a few weeks. Grayson Rodriguez is at AAA. We'll see him soon. I think DL Hall will see at some point this year. So it's exciting to not only have Kyle Bradish in the majors making quality starts, but it's exciting to get that process going. Absolutely. And get it going on the right foot. After right. Bradish's first start and his next start is going to come, interestingly enough, with uh, Dylan Bundy on the mound as well. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. Uh, because you remember, he was one of the pieces of those tra in that trade. That uh, he was. So, of course, tune in all week as the Orioles uh, continue their homestand here against the Twins. And if you're in the area, if you want to go down and uh, catch Adley Rushman or D.L. Hall down in A Bowie, go ahead and do that. We will be there tonight. Brendan at Paul Mancano is my Twitter handle. At Brendan Morty is his. Of course, please listen to the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, all that good stuff. Appreciate you listening, following along. Five stars, all that good stuff. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks to Bobby Blanco for producing today's podcast, and we will be back next week. Maybe two more prospects will have gotten called up by this point. Who knows? We'll catch you next time.